recording in progress. There we go. Now we're recording your beautiful faces. Hey, Circle of Trust, I hope you enjoyed that minute five of bonus content because that's all you're getting today. All right, let's get into this. You guys have done it once again. I love the ritual of DKNG that you never let Black Friday or the holidays slip through your fingers. And if we look back on the history of adventures in design with some big anniversaries on the horizon. Uh, that's what I've been doing a lot lately. When we first started this project, uh, and I first started doing the circle of trust eight years ago on Monday, it was like everybody went in on black Friday. No, I take that back. Some of us went in on black Friday and others showed up late on black Friday. Do you remember when Instagram was still a thing? And, uh, <laughs> you would see people like yourselves, that had planned out a well-planned sell. Like, you know, we have th this exclusive item. We have a, a jumbo pack. You can buy this and you can buy that. And so it was all laid out and you're posting your, your Instagram slides that you made before the Thanksgiving holiday, you know, every three hours. And then there was the dude who was just like, oh, oh, what? It's Black Friday? I should do something on uh, Tuesday. People are making <laughs> money and I'm not. Uh, hashtag yeah. <laughs> uh, stores stores on fire or hashtag you know and it'd just be a blanket like everything's 25 percent off with yeah. no graphic or there'd be the insane ones that were like hey entire store 70 percent off i'm like yeah hey it's like are you trying to go to business yeah what's going on here are, are you trying to show everybody that you have zero faith in your products so <laughs> it was a thing where a lot of people like you guys, or I would say a small section of our community of designers that go straight to retail, were planning out and, and really trying to plan it as that was the one big con or show that you did every year where you didn't actually have to travel for it. It was all, you know, figuring out the product line, making some new stuff, figuring out what your margins were, and then just having a social media campaign. Look at where we're at in 2021. Social media is fundamentally broken. Black Friday <laughs> is completely broken. Like I started getting Black Friday. Friday. Yeah. I, I got my first Black Friday email from Best Buy in October. I'm like, it's fucking <laughs> done, dude. It's yeah, done. That's, I was confused the first time we started seeing it in October of like, wait, are we watching something that's not supposed to air for another month? Like, And it's like, <laughs> no, it's Black Friday is no longer a date. It's just a mindset. And you can do Black Friday at any time that you want now. It's wild. And the thing is, is that I I miss the mayhem. Like it it was so cool. When I lived in upstate New York, we would do Thanksgiving night with Beth's family. And my ritual with Beth was this. She was like, Can we just go home? I've eaten too much food. I need to take a shit. I'm like, ah ah ah. ah. I spend all day with every your year, family. <laughs> you poop every year. I spend all day with your family. Your insufferable Greek family. I spent all day with them listening about, oh, this is feta. And they're all you, in their togas. It's so annoying. Can you pass the pita? <laughs> and I, I spent all day with them. So you owe me a lap around the mall, a lap around Walmart, a lap around Best Buy. And I would just drive by slow and look at them in the cold in upstate New York with their babies and with their children oh, for a big TV that they didn't even fucking need. And mm -hmm. I like the Walmart had a barricade around it. It literally looked like, you know, when they fucking have to barricade ET's house because mm -hmm. they can't let anyone get in. 
that was a shopping plaza. And that's gone. That's been robbed from us. Nobody's going to die on Friday. Nobody's going to get trampled. We won't get viral videos of people fighting over a $10 blender. They have broken the holiday. Yeah. I don't know. I think no the- one's going to get. Well, I was going to say maybe someone will get carpal tunnel from clicking too much, <laughs> but no one's getting trampled anymore, which is a shame. I think the intersection between like anti-vaxxers and Walmart customers is pretty large, but if I had to make a guess, so there might be a larger crowd than we think. <laughs> I, I just, anyway, I just want to say thanks to Walmart for sponsoring the DKNG show today. Go get your Black <laughs> Friday deals over there. Do you remember the year where to be an asshole, which is something I excel at, Making fun of the Johnny Come Latelys, the people that were too cool for Black Friday, but not yeah. too cool to make the money. Do you remember the year where I made the Walmart logo and I said that we will match any of our competitors' Black yes. Friday sales? Yeah, and that was my sale. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> but I think no. you know this whole idea of like seeing other people be making money and being like, "Oh, I got to jump on that." I think that's another one of the things where having two of us in the business helps talk yes. each other off the ledge yes. because there have been times that Dan and I are like, let's, or we're at an event or something like, let's mark it down. Let's like do something. And we're kind of like, look, this is a slow burn. We have a goal for how much money we want to make over the course of a year. We don't have to do it all today. And we yeah, don't need to right. like sell ourselves out in order to just like, cause actually we always compare ourselves Mark to your, um, your alma mater, the gap. Thank you. thank you. Thank you for thank your you. service. Um, <laughs> that, you know, I would never buy something for full price at the gap because I know that another 20, 30, 50% off sales right around the corner. And it's I think we auction. didn't want to box ourselves into being the guys that are like, Oh, Always I'll just wait for the next DKNG sale because I know they're going to throw 30% at me next week. Yeah. Yep. The, the business model of the gap is, is that when it hits the floor, it's at 100% value. But they do markdowns. I can't remember if it was markdowns like every three to five days. And so wow. when, when you work at the gap, you get this, you know, email that comes over and it basically says you go by and you scan every item and it tells you what the new price is. So slowly, you know, they take five percent off, ten percent off. But it's essentially a slow auction of do I want this jacket? I'll be at the mall next week and it'll go from seventy nine to 59 and and the best thing about being a cashier at the gap is that when people return stuff as long as you had a receipt showing what you paid for it and it hadn't been worn tags still on it you could always get that money back no matter how long it had gone by so you could have did that thing where like, oh i'm gonna buy a christmas gift for somebody next year and buy like a leather jacket for you know 300 bucks or whatever 400 bucks and then when you bring it back, I have to give you 400 bucks. But when you leave, I got to scan it and everything eventually goes to 99 cents. So if you <laughs> saw somebody with a return back, you would try to get them because you got first dibs on what they were returning. And, uh, I and it actually, could be like deep discount at that point. Yes. And when I worked there, I actually did get like a men's suit for 99 cents. And oh I got God. a fucking leather jacket for 99 cents because I love two things I love doing. I loved working the cash cash wrap as they called it because I like talking to people and you know getting the vibe, and I got so good at at being in the fitting room. 
I know how to speak the language when women are trying to unclose. Like I just <laughs> learn how to speak the language. But like, let me see. If no one had context for that, that you were actually working at Gap, that would sound so creepy. <laughs> Dude, you but there's a language. You learn the first time you're in the, the for fitting sure room. is. It's the boyfriend talk. <laughs> yes. And there's a lot of women that go shopping sans man. And they pop out and like, what do you think of these jeans? And the first time you say it wrong, you learn how to say it right. And so it's mm-hmm. like, I really like those. Those look great. But the ones you had on before, I don't know, felt more like you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not insulting anyone or anything. You're just praising the ones that were working better. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's all positive reinforcement. Yeah. But hey, being in the fitting room, it's a fucking vibe, man. It is a language. And the shit that you see in there and the frustration that you feel. I once had to cut a pair of boots off of a girl because she got them stuck on her calf muscle. So, oh man, I've lived a life, but that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Memorable day, nonetheless, probably for me and her. But is that why you always had Vaseline under the counter? You're just like, <laughs> it's going to happen again. <laughs> yeah, I had an exacto knife and a little thing of Vaseline. Like, is he a murderer? Like, no, I am a shoe remover, and there's a big difference. <laughs> I could see like once you, when you're doing that job every day, you really get into the the rhythm of what to say. And I think for us, it was always awkward when we sold t-shirts because it was only like a few days a year yeah. that we were dealing with people coming into our booth and trying on t-shirts oh, yeah. and having to explain like these run a little small or, you know, how do you say something in a diplomatic way of like, I think you should size up. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, it is definitely an interesting conversation to have with people. And then there would just be like women that would just be straight up like, how do my tits look in this? And you'd be like, <laughs> really? We're going to have this conversation right yeah. now? <laughs> like I had that, I heard, I had several women say that to me and then I'd have a woman turn around and be like, but how's my ass? And it's like, well, as an official ass man, I have to tell you <laughs> that it is great. Good response. <laughs> but no, I mean, literally think about in our own little bubble, the black friday erosion and i kept telling beth i go you know what these stores are getting greedier and greedier because it used to be midnight midnight was when it happened and that was a cool ritual and then it was you know six o'clock on thanksgiving and and the thing that was making me upset is i would i kind of got this right but i also got it wrong where i started predicting that eventually thanksgiving would be a shopping day and where that made me bummed out was who works at target who works at walmart you know those are you know middle class hardworking folks and um it made me sad that you know kids wouldn't get to have dinner with mom because mom had to go do her you know at the time 10 12 an hour job you know it's one thing if dad's a neurosurgeon and he's got to dip out because that means like hey hey, we're for sure going on that month vacation this summer uh or we're going to get that second beach house but you know, to go do a job that you don't like on a day that you don't want to work, that's just no fun for anybody. But I was right in that they kept moving it forward. I was wrong saying it was Thanksgiving, but <laughs> it just happens all the time now, which I think really ruins the fun and the spectacle of it. They broke it. Yeah, it's completely broken. I think by next year, they're going to be on Black Friday advertising in like 2023 Black, Black Friday. <laughs> it's going to be full year ahead. <laughs> the promos are all year long. Want that new Apple 14? Put a deposit on it today. <laughs> Everything is a pre-sale. Yeah, I remember those days where it was like, it, we had a rhythm going. It was working pretty well. You make your black on black graphic and yep. you have like a couple new releases. You have also a discount involved. But then 
not that we were like the first to do it at all, but it felt like a lot of people started doing the same kind of vibe. And then it kind of takes away from your own kind of like sales too, because sure. if everyone's doing the same thing at the same time, then you're kind of, you know, diluting the whole thing. So now we're kind of like, maybe we just don't even mention Black Friday. Let's just release something at the time we want and we don't have to use that verbiage. Yeah. I mean, we're not using it at all this year. It's just about, you know, like a holiday sale. And I think I was also just thinking about how it used to be very delineated. Like Friday, Black Friday was an in-person event. Like like you were talking about, Mark, like that's the day to get trampled. There's nothing like happening online. And then Cyber Monday was the day for online shopping. And they didn't really cross over at all. And I feel like now it's just free for all. Everything's on sale everywhere. I always heard this thing called Cyber Monday, but um, it never worked out for me. I had also heard growing up as a young man, that like, yeah, if your girlfriend gets drunk, you're going to get laid. And that never worked out for me either because she always just ended up throwing up all over herself. And then it was a disaster. And so I'm like, alcohol doesn't get you laid. Alcohol makes a mess. You got to fucking clean up after. And yeah, Debbie uh, would say that's non-consensual too. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing you didn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well. That I appreciate that disclaimer thrown in here and making sure that we're up to code <laughs> for all those that still believe that don't believe it anymore. Don't believe the hype. But the thing was, is like, I always saw that as like, this doesn't go anywhere good. And this isn't anything fucking cool that I want to be a part of. See with cyber Monday. Like I've never bought anything on Monday. I never saw a deal that was so sweet that I had to do it on Monday. Like I've mm. gotten the emails I've clicked in and I've lurked. But I, I don't know. I'm going to call foul on Cyber Monday. I don't think it's the thing that it was made out to be. It's a weird thing to make two different sale events so close to each other, too, because I always thought it was odd to be like, here's a deal that you can only get on Friday. And then Monday rolls around and are like, actually, there's a better deal happening. Sure. And you just wasted your money. And then the there was what? Giving Tuesday and... Um, Small business Small Saturdays. Business. Oh, yeah. Saturday. there's, new, there's new ones. Yeah. yeah. Small I business Saturdays. Thing- to be mindful of as a consumer is like, I've been hearing on a lot of podcasts now, Simply Safe is like the huge advertiser. Everything's 50% off. But it's like, okay, so you're selling it to me at cost, basically? That can't be right. So what I think what they're doing is like, if you mark up everything double, then you can say, okay, now we're like slashing it in half. And right. it's like, you know, that percentage off, what retail price are we starting from? So I think mm-hmm. there is some like bait and switch going on there. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting thing. I do believe in Small Business Saturday, though, because that's one that I've participated in. And, uh, you know, I live in Long Beach. We have a lot of small businesses in a couple of our uh, business districts. And you do on that Saturday actually see the streets full with people going into the small businesses. But as once a small business brick and mortar, you know, retail owner, it's just not enough, you know, and the thing that used to drive us nuts when we owned our store was people would come in and look around and go, this is really great, man. The city needs more things like this. Good luck. I'm like, I don't need your fucking luck. See you later. I need your fucking money, you (laughs) asshole. So as they walk across the street to Starbucks. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like uh, I'm going to get this cheaper on Amazon, but thanks for showing it to me. (laughs) Well, that's the other thing too. When you see people in small businesses or whatever, pulling out their phone and they're like taking a photo of it or they're looking it up. It's like, yeah, I get it. A dollar saved is a dollar save, but saving your city is another thing too. You know, like, do you want to be able to walk down to stores or do you want to walk down to a bunch of weed shops? Cause that's what my neighborhood's turning into. (laughs) So let's do this. You guys have kept up the tradition, though, of 
celebrating the holidays with your design. It seems like about every year you guys come up with, you know, not holiday per se, you know, you did the, the Christmas cabins and stuff like that. You did the greeting cards last year and this year you're adding wrapping paper to mm-hmm. the mix, which is amazing because uh, Nathan, I know we've talked about this a lot before. You guys actually worked with Adam Grola before he went crazy and on his uh, Sangria, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mangria. Mangria. And uh, what he had always talked about on his podcast was is that when you write a book, people buy the book, they read it, and the book's done, project's dead. But if you mm-hmm. sell booze, people buy it, they drink it, and they buy more. You guys finally figured out how to make a poster <laughs> that people throw in the garbage can and want to buy another one. I love it. I, disposable uh, products. I didn't even think of it that way, but it is our version of uh, a sangria. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think, I mean, we did kind of talk about it when we were setting the price point of like, it's kind of like we're selling people a poster. You know, it's printed like a poster. It's kind of a poster size, but it is mm-hmm. specifically designed to be thrown away. So, at what, how much are people willing to spend on a product that is meant to be garbage someday? Mm-hmm. So, it's, uh, yeah, it's a fine line. But it's interesting yeah, it's, that it's interesting too. Um, there's not like we we researched vendors to print like seamless patterns in the form of wrapping paper, but then what we came to realize is that wrapping paper is just like a thin poster if you would do single sheets. And technically, we're selling you posters here, but the way that they're produced is in such a way that it makes sense for wrapping paper more just because of the weight and the stock and everything. But, um, yeah, it was definitely kind of a search for us to try to figure out the right way to get these produced because it's not as easy as you would think. There's not like a wholesale wrapping paper vendor out there that's easy to work with or cheap enough. Well, one thing I know about the wrap community that you guys are now a part of is that it's hard for everybody to find their way when they're coming up. But you guys found your way. You found your distribution. <laughs> and now you're officially in the rap <laughs> community. Yeah, now we're professional rappers <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I'm trying to do the eight mile. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was thinking more of Flight of the Concords. We're rappers. <laughs> Hip hopopotamus. <laughs> we're rhymes are bottomless. That's it. <laughs> so you guys actually found your own manufacturer this wasn't like you guys are into playing cards but somebody came to you and said you want to do playing cards with us and a lot of times i've seen dkng get invited to something then Mm -hmm. you have you know a a guy that helps you make that thing happen but this is you you two were just we should get into the wrapping paper game and then you research your own way to produce wrapping paper yeah exactly so we don't have like a partner on this we just started thinking of or looking at like how is wrapping paper produced and how would we go about you know getting that product even if it's not explicitly called wrapping paper by the vendor so yeah we like tested out some different types of paper to see what would work well we ended up with this stock that has kind of it, it's not purely uncoated but it has like a little bit of that like matte finished mm. soft touch kind of nice feel to it Love so that. It'll, it'll feel great on your fingers while you're opening your presents Mm-hmm. So when I saw the uh, hero image, I literally was like, oh, that's interesting. They just did patterns. You know, I was like, that kind of, ah. that sounds more like a Dan Styles idea than a DKNG idea. But when I looked into it, I actually realized that the patterns are illustrations. So the first one we're going to look at is the uh, polar bear, where you have four different versions of the polar bear because the actual white one is sometimes scarfed and sometimes not scarfed. So yeah, the the main 
trick here is that everything's a tessellation and every animal is the same shape. So there is technically only one bear, but uh, the white one every so often is wearing a scarf. And they just change and alternate colors from there. And don't, it's the same thing with these don't patterns. Don't fucking cop talk me. It's technically, there's only one bear. There's- technically. Well, actually, yeah. You know, there's other bears of color and there's privileged bears. <laughs> Get out of here with that. <laughs> but they're all bears. <laughs> so is it exactly the same? It's the same, like, mezzo spray on them and everything. You just colorize them. Mm-hmm. But you why why a scarf on one? Is that to show the elitism of society? Yeah, yeah, there's like a kind of a political statement in each one. And that was just kind of like, actually, you know, the original one we made, which you'll scroll down to eventually, is um, the reindeer. And Nathan came up with the idea of like, what if one of the reindeer ever so often had a red nose? So that would be the Rudolph. And then uh, we eventually, once we started making uh, more animals, started realizing like, well, what if uh, we did kind of the same concept for each uh, animal where they... Every so often, one of them was doing something slightly different. And that's why we kind of came up with these like little extra things. So like an olive branch for the turtle dove and then um, the uh, scarf for the bear. And then you'll see on the um, the deer, every so often there's one red nose. And it's like every fourth or fifth animal. And we kind of designated it all to the, the white ones. So it kind of feels like the wintry one got the right. extra treatment. Right. Also, the one but it's like a really contrast. subtle, like tiny little break in the pattern. Dude, this is really cool. Uh, the pattern is phenomenal on how well it seems together. So, work me through this. How did you make these patterns? Did you have to, like, how many do you make to know that it's going to be seamless? <laughs> uh, I think each version, actually, I should say, before we even came up with like our first one that's going to be like this is a final i think four different other patterns were made like that were kind of thematic within the world of holiday like we did like um snowflakes and um christmas trees uh, christmas trees gingerbread house and then we kind of decided let's just do animals because this all this all kind of sprung out of a project we did for almanac brewery where we did a tessellating dog and the tessellation idea just means that it's a single shape that can then nest into itself without any gaps or anything. So yes, they're all like seamless patterns, but at the same time, each one just has the one animal shape that tiles around itself. And basically the negative space for one animal is filled by the positive space from its neighbors. So the process of doing that is really tedious because it's not just like you snap your fingers and it looks like a bear. You're kind of like pushing and pulling things to make sure like there's no gaps that are left, but at the same time you need it to look like the thing that you're creating. So yeah. after, after doing that almanac first tessellation for us last year, which was on their dog patch um, label that we've talked about on the podcast before we decided to make a class on Skillshare that was all about pattern design. And we also like, dove into the world of tessellations there and how you can make them. There's like reflected versions and rotational versions. Um, it's it, You would recognize it as uh, Mick Escher's work, as Mark would, yeah. would refer to him. Yeah, Mick Escher uh, used to do a lot of this stuff, but he would also then add in a forced perspective and vanishing points so that the, tessellate, the tesseract would actually scale and slide around as he's doing it. So work me through this uh, on the tesseract design. When you... 
do this. You you start off with one bear, right? We start off with mono bear. So we get a bear together and mm-hmm. then we put other bear around it. So how many how many do we need to know that it works? You need to have a bear surrounded by enough bears so that there is no seams left. So like the one the image that we're looking at now, that bear in the center with the the scarf, basically the the two red bears and the three uh, brown bears kind of need to all be surrounding it as well, just to make sure that any pushing and pulling actually makes sense on the other bears as well. So like a flower, we have our center and we have our petals. So yeah, basically the central icon would be the, the, the middle of the flower. And then we do the petals around it. So once the bear is completely hit on all edges, do we then know that we have a tesseract? The, the only way, that I've figured out how to do this. I don't even, I don't have no idea how uh, MC Usher did it. Like he used to do it obviously just by hand and paper and math, but hold on. Who's um, that? Oh, sorry. Mick. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the way to do it in illustrator is to use the global edit tool. Um, and it's not something we've been using uh, for, we haven't used it really in our career very much, but uh, it really came in handy for stuff like this, where it's like you can create like, um, let's say you're creating a leaf and then you're like duplicating it like a thousand times to like yeah. make a tree. If you wanted to update all those leaves by just updating one of them, then that's when you would use the uh, the global edit tool. How does it and know? Do you have to assign like this is an like do you have how does it know that all the other leaves are clones? They have to they all have to come from the same source so the same apple, clone so apple d would get me in the mm-hmm. so then as just, long as you don't update any of those leaves and they're all it. coming from the same original shape then yeah. it'll recognize that it's the same okay thing so yeah. if i make a if i make a shape and then i do you know apple d apple d apple d and i'm just putting it everywhere then i go oh actually it would be cool if this face was like happy instead of sad yep. if i just adjust i adjust one it on one and then i go to this feature it's the other way around. You so you click on a face, yep. your image that you created, and yep. then you go to global edit, and then like a new window will kind of pop up where it's kind of like got a blue outline around the one you're editing, and then all the others that you copied kind of have like this. Um, I think it's red or orange like outline around them. So any move you make live to that one that you clicked will automatically start changing the others. <laughs> Yeah, and so it's it's automatically wow. detecting everything yeah, that you copied yeah. and pasted or duplicated. You you didn't have to preemptively tell it like, hey, these are all the same thing. Right, like yeah. how back in old web design days, you would have to basically assign things, you know, so that it knew that these were all part of a, a family or they're all in the same directory. It's just keeping yeah, like, track uh, of instances of a thing you used yeah, to have to do in yeah. like fireworks or something. We yeah. were I was hanging out with Jason Edmondson this weekend because of DesignerCon, and we were talking about his love of working and making money. And I came up with the joke of I'm surprised he doesn't have a pencil with a rod on it where there's two other pencils on each side. So as he's drawing one thing, he's actually drawing three things. So efficient. (laughs) The next morning, he sends me over a photo of this dude who has one and he's drawing four things at once. He goes, they made it. They made it. I just have to buy one. I've also very, seen that. That's very middle out of him. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's like an old school, like architectural tool where you can draw something small and then the arm starts like drawing a 
a big version copying what your hand is doing. Oh, that's so nice. So he should do that so we could have like different scales of, of illustrations. Also, even though none of us are left-handed, that if you put a pen in each hand and you I start... Am. Oh, you are? Uh, Nathan's yeah. weirdo. No, I mean, no. Well, things make we sense. could sit shoulder to shoulder and sign the same poster. It's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. That's why we teamed up so we can both sign the same poster That's at the, the same most time. Burton or anything I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> like I'll do the numbering. Nathan does this, does the signing. And this. <laughs> God, that's and we do it while we're in bed together. That's not <laughs> yep. weird, right? Yeah, it's on one of those like little breakfast trays. <laughs> <laughs> can we get another one? Uh, so yeah, one poster at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so out of these four that made it to the end which one was the most difficult the deer it looks sure. it looks the most advanced yeah it's um it's kind of a double-edged sword because it also is the most complex and then once you um see it in pattern form it's also the hardest one to kind of like instantly understand what's going on um but if once you get up close you realize like what what was put into making this work, you realize that like a couple things are happening here. Like it's hard to make a tessellation pattern when you're dealing with small thin items like deer legs or antlers. And yeah. what do those antlers do when they interact with the other yeah, deer? But the the genius that they so, look like it's a Nathan harness. came up with the idea of like what if we try to like make it kind of look like the straps of yeah. uh, they would be wearing on a sleigh. Yeah. That's genius. Um, so it's kind of like we had to figure out the math there where it's like pushing and pulling and what, what to keep kind of more organic versus geometric. And there was definitely a lot of like pushing and pulling for sure. It was kind of this classic thing that we've gone through with tessellation design is like Nathan will make a recommendation of like, well, can you make the, the left leg a little thinner, but then every single time we do that, then the other leg gets fatter. So it's kind of like, well, we kind of have to like compromise in every single step that we make. So every push comes with a pull. Yeah. So it is kind of frustrating to talk about it because yeah, if one of us says like, we'll just make the antler thinner, it's like, Hey man, I can't fucking do that because the ass is going to get huge or, you know, whatever <laughs> yeah. the thing is. So it's just like, we kind of like learned pretty quickly that you can't make a suggestion without also explaining what the equal and opposite reaction is going to be. And you better make sure you're like happy with both outcomes because you can't just change one and not the other. And I yeah. think like if you're listening to this and you still can't really, it's a weird thing to wrap your head around, especially looking at an organic shape like this. But yeah. I think the easiest way if you want to like get into this is just using paper. And if you start out with like a square piece of paper and you cut out like a little shape from the top, for example, now you have that gap missing. So what you do is you take that little piece that you just cut out, that little scrap, and tape it onto the other side of your piece of paper. So now what you're doing is once that pattern repeats, that gap that you just removed from the top is now added in as positive space at the bottom. Right. Mm -hmm. And then if you think about just keep doing that, every time you cut off a little piece of paper, you add it to the opposite side and keep doing that until you end up with something that looks like something. But it's that first step of kind of like wrapping your head around it and understanding that every time you take something away, you need to add it somewhere else is a little bit of a mind fuck. I think we talked about this on the show before where, uh, when I was researching, like, you know, the idea of getting a Tesla, I was looking at lots of different, you know, the future of design of cars and how they all work. And I found this video where I was watching where this company was working on this prototype of a car where essentially it would be fully autonomous, like no driver at all. 
And the idea of this vehicle was it was completely symmetric. And essentially their idea was they had designed a fourth of a car. And therefore the fourth of the car would be replicated three more times to make an entire car. And their whole idea was one passenger, one door, one motor, one wheel, one headlight, you know, uh, two panes of glass. And essentially that could be replicated over four times. And what, when they went through this process, they were just designing this like slice of a car. So every time they would like make an adjustment, they had already adjusted it to the rest of the design. And mm-hmm. they even went so far as what if in this car where essentially four people would sit in a cabin kind of facing off, you know, two on two facing off at each other, that what if one motor or one brake went out, you would then have three more that could do it. So the maintenance mm-hmm. on it or the charging, like if one for whatever reason went out, you would still have 75% of your power. And I don't know what the what became of that, but it was just one of those things where you're like, oh, that's somebody who's really thinking outside of the box. Like that's a that's yeah. a really deep way to think about all we have to do is make a fourth of a car and then we've made the entire car. Yeah, that's kind of smart thinking. It makes sense that this is kind of like a Tesla talk because uh there's a sci-fi a couple sci-fi um things I've seen, especially in books, where they're like talk about the creation of like spaceships and how those are going to be maintained in space. And the theory is make an engine that's made out of like a thousand small engines so that when you're out there and you're lost, if a couple of those engines break down, you still can move forward. Yeah. But if you're just dependent on like one or two major things and one of them goes out, then like you're kind of fucked. So it makes sense on a smaller scale to also make it so that, you know, when you're on the road, if something goes wrong, you still have backups. If you were to go to outer space, would you feel safer? Because I go back and forth about this in my mind. Boeing makes a space capsule that is traditional and that there's tons of levers, tons of buttons, and tons of gauges. SpaceX mm. gives you three big monitors where it's all software-based. What would you rather do in outer space? Would you rather have like all of these mechanics around you or would you rather be at the mercy of software where there's literally no physical buttons just big imax that you're staring at that are going to somehow get you back to planet earth because i find <laughs> both a comfort in both of those systems but i also find yeah. a tremendous amount of terror in both of those systems uh i would think i'd go more analog yeah i, f- I feel like i have more faith than that because I think a, uh, one of those features, one of those dials, one of those buttons can break down, but the rest is still functioning. Whereas like the software, if that fucks up, then everything fucks up kind of vibe. Like yeah. there's something overriding the entire like digital experience. Um, but I mean, maybe there's a smarter technology than I'm imagining there. I don't know. I When you see the two capsules side by side, you're like, both of these look scary as hell I, for different aesthetically, reasons. I mean... Yeah. Obviously, I wouldn't want like a huge iPad in front of me. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, and I wonder if this is like a generational thing. Like, at what age? Like, we're old enough to like trust like analog mechanical things right, to work. Right. But I wonder if you know, once you hit a certain threshold, if a twenty-five-year-old would say, "No, just like use the iPad. Like, the iPad is my whole life. Like, I wouldn't mm-hmm. trust anything other than that." I mean, the three of us—if we had to get back to planet Earth and there was a malfunction. We are, the three of us are way smarter on 
figuring out a software error than we are mm-hmm. on a hardware error. So maybe we might want to reevaluate how we're going to get back to planet Earth. Yeah, I, if I if I go the analog route, I would need uh, a good partner in like engineering. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. like I, I wouldn't be able to fix it, but I'd feel safe that if it's broken, someone be able to fix it for me. Hold on, <laughs> we can go home. Let me just hold on the home button and the volume up. I'm going to reset this. I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to close out all my apps. We were yeah. going to get home. Just calm down. Let's just reboot. Well. In these, in this scenario, can we Google the problem, <laughs> <laughs> or is the problem we have no internet? Because that's really fucked up in space. <laughs> It'd be very, very easy to go on full airplane mode if, for whatever reason, something's not happening. Like, ah, we, we turned Bluetooth off. We're still stuck up here. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is actually the premise of. Did you guys see the movie The Martian? Um, with Matt with, Damon, uh, yeah. Matt Damon, Uh-oh. that same Matt author, Damon. his newest book, um, <laughs> Project Hail Mary, is like about this idea of this guy. Basically, it takes place in the future. This guy wakes up in some kind of spacecraft, and he like has amnesia, and he doesn't know what the hell's going on, and he needs to like reverse engineer and figure out how to like operate the spaceship. And wow. it is fully just like on a screen, but then eventually he has to like, well, that's not working. I need to like find the control panel and wire shit together and figure out how to get home it's terrifying like the idea of space is a whole it's like reverse claustrophobia like you have yeah unlimited space too much space but none of it is the space that you want to be in i don't know it's it's wild was it interstellar that we went and saw nathan where i got in a fight with the woman next to me and uh yes you mean any movie uh, when we were were in (laughs) oakland You mean every movie you've ever got? <laughs> every single movie we've ever been to? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> yeah. Are you, you're talking about a shouting match or a physical fight? Because that will help us yeah. narrow down. This is a woman, so it was a shouting match. I, I don't need more specifics. <laughs> but yeah, the space movies sometimes play with something that humans have a very hard time understanding, which is um, time. Right, the theory, the theory of relativity—that's fucked up. Just the, the the idea <laughs> that of, like you can go to a planet and grow like an age faster because yeah. you went there. <laughs> yeah, like the dude that got left behind, and they were just yeah. on the planet for you know fifteen minutes, and they come back, and he's old and just been sitting there by himself for years, which sound like fifteen minutes. Which actually, in the real world, if you're the one where you're at an event and you're like, okay, you guys go on and like. I don't want to eat. You guys go get a sandwich and use the bathroom. I'm going to check this thing out. When everybody else is out having that chicken sandwich and doing all that stuff, and then you finally meet back up and the 10 minutes is way longer, you do feel like you've aged. Like I, It's a very relatable, <laughs> yeah. very relatable yeah, feeling. It's a smaller version of it. <laughs> yeah. So another thing that you guys have coming up or that you have on sale is you're taking your greeting cards and you bundled them together with your wrapping paper. Uh, mm-hmm. And when I saw this, this is exactly what – like it just – set off in my mind the first conversation we had about, you know, uh, Black Friday and the holidays and how a lot of our peers have just completely moved away from this. But you guys have kept riding the train, and I think efficiently so. And what I'd like to commend you for and celebrate is that uh, this just looks like it was fun stuff that you wanted to do. It doesn't look like you're pandering. There's mm, no, like, thank you. We, we desperately need to make money during the holidays. Like It just looks really well thought out and planned. And um, the colors that you pick for the wrapping paper are amazing. Is there any part of you that wish that those same colors were reflected in the snow globe prints? <laughs> I, 
as we were putting together these mock-ups yesterday, I was kind of like, oh, it'd be nice if all these were like mat is it really, really, really matching because yeah, the envelopes yeah. are like almost exactly the same color. But yeah, the the blue and the salmon is, you know, a little bit weird next to just our regular red. But um yeah, I mean it's hindsight's uh twenty twenty, I guess. Yeah. I mean, maybe when we get these reprinted, we can get them to look really close in color range and then they look really good as a pack, but they were made at two different times in the of the year. Random yeah. paper question. And the oh, fact sorry. that the greeting cards are letterpress and have oh, a yeah. silver foil stamp, like we would never get super close. But yeah, it did occur to me that we could have just made this all like a perfectly matching suite. Um but yeah, I mean, the truth is like last year, holiday season was our first time trying greeting cards and our first time doing a letterpress product. And this is our, our first time with wrapping paper. So we kind of view each holiday season release as like a, kind of a little bit of a test run to see yeah. how things go. And I'm sure, you know, if we keep it up a few years from now, we'll be a little more dialed in with our holiday selection. With the wrapping paper that is only $10, how many sheets do you get? Six. Six nineteen by twenty seven sheets, so you know larger than your you know typical eighteen by twenty four poster, um, and that's yeah we t- we did the research on like what these sheets typically are from like other vendors, and nineteen by twenty seven seems to be the standard. Uh huh. Um, but um, typically, but you usually get like three sheets for exactly. if you go to like a rifle paper company or something, you're getting three sheets for ten bucks. So we tried to really make this a good value that you're getting a lot of bang for your buck um because i know some people would prefer like a roll versus a sheet yeah so we tried to include enough that if you do have like a huge gift that you need to like double up the sheets or something you have some flexibility there and you're getting a bit more value than if you um just bought from more of like a mainstream company when i saw it i was looking for the roll and then i saw the sheets and my first reaction was like oh that's weird but then i thought about actually trying to wrap a gift with a sheet versus a roll and I immediately loved it. Like the idea of just, all right, it's already been cut. I just dropped this item in the middle of this, wrap it up like a baby, and then we're good to go. I don't know. I, I think this is really cool. I'm excited to see you guys jump into something different. Uh, I love the idea that you bundled them together for a little holiday sell. Uh, I don't know. It it hit me with all the nostalgia. It rem- reminded nice. me of when people used to care about things like this, when <laughs> the community used to put an effort in. And with everything being fundamentally broken, it's just nice to see you guys celebrate the holidays and come up with a, a, a good item uh, to put together. Speaking of things that people care about, you worked on a poster for Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, could care less, but I'll look at the poster nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> this sketch is really cool. And I can see the influence of you being a fellow iPad Pro owner, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is an iPad sketch. We're seeing the sketches get, you know, a little bit more dialed in. Um, is it because the tool just makes it so much easier to draw than before when you were just doing it on scratch paper and pencil? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely that. The Getting the option of having color in our sketches is a huge upgrade. Yeah. Um, and something like this poster with like, the concept, not only just being, you know, a top-down view of this car, but like getting the lighting right and kind of the the vibe of it, what kind of, uh, you know, time of day is it going to be? Like, we want to make sure that the the stuff going on the left kind of looks more like lava, like a crack in the ground, and you can't really quite get that vibe with just like pencil and paper. And 
it really helped kind of sell the concept way more than we typically would have had um, with just like the regular way we used to do things. It also gives you the ability to do line weight, you know, to, yeah. to, to easily yeah. just at the click of your finger, you can make the brush or the pencil, you know, twice as big or three times as big so that you understand that that's a big crack versus that, you know, the, the female frame on the far right. Like it just goes to show how much easier illustrating is with a tablet. Oh yeah. Yeah. It goes and a also lot, just lot like using different types of tools. So like Dan's been using charcoal to do shading mm-hmm. um, on some of these sketches and this, this actually came about from a client project that we, we for years have been talking about, like, yeah, we're kind of living in the past by just doing pencil and paper sketching. And I think we all have a little bit of this fear of like, we don't want to become those old guys that just stick to their guns. And it's like, no. back in my day, we did everything by hand. So I'm just going to kind of like let the industry pass me by until I'm completely obsolete. Um, but what ended up triggering this is we were working with a client and this art director would send us his mock-ups and sketches of being like, here's what I have in mind. Like you guys do your version. And and he was doing it all in color on an iPad. So it felt like we were going backwards if he would like give us a color sketch. And then we would say, okay, like here's our black and white, like pencil version of what you did. So that kind of inspired us to like, okay, we should at least get on the same page with our client and be able to like bring something more to the table. So it was that like client project that first got us going with the iPad. And now it's kind of the go-to thing for everything. So with this top down view that we're looking at, is this a, a creative workaround that we don't have likeness rights? Uh, exactly. Yeah. That was part yeah. of it. Yeah. Technically hey, it works, we have a though. character in there, but you know, her face isn't quite visible. So um, it's a way of getting her in there without actually showing her likeness. Yeah, no, but it's a creative problem solving and it doesn't make this any less of a piece. In fact, it makes it more intriguing because we've all seen Ecto-1 from the front, the three-quarter, the profile view, even from the back. Like, not often that we've actually seen it from above and by going above, you're able to do so much more storytelling. Love the shadows. Love all the texture that you put into the cement. I love how the cement looks like stained and beaten up, you know, even aside from it ripping in half with the the, the lava that's coming through. Uh, and then the little um, RC ripper that's in the corner there mm-hmm. that's like kicking up dust and dirt. Like, it's a really cool composition. And I almost think that if you, particularly DKNG, with the way that you illustrate, I think it's made stronger because you don't have the likeness rights. Yeah, it kind of forced us to be creative um, and, and within a very small sandbox and the fact that we have made some Ecto-1 Ghostbusters work in the past and we've done like a side profile and a front view, it'd be kind of, you know, lame for us just to kind of do another poster in, in any of those positions. So then we kind of thought, yeah, the top down we haven't seen from other artists, but also at the same time we haven't done it ourselves. So yeah. it was kind of like a, a welcomed challenge. Um so much so that we were having a hard time finding any resources for it. Like, what sure. does this look like? We saw sure. other people's like fan art or like diagrams that they would put together, but nothing too official. So part of the biggest like help here was to actually get a, a model replica of the Ecto-1 from the movie. Like the, the basically the Ecto-1 in this latest movie is the original Ecto-1, but it's kind of been retrofitted to, mm-hmm. um, you know, be updated with this gunner seat and everything and like a couple things have moved around like the ladder is actually on the left side versus the right side 
or was in the original movie. So there's small little things there that you wouldn't really know unless you had like a model in front of you or you, I mean, the trailer has some stuff, but they're not going to show the top of the car. So I, I literally took a photo like uh, in the right lighting of like the model of the car to get the accuracy of this like placement of every single piece right. So the studio and, um, sent you a model? Say what? The studio sent you a model? No, I know. Just bought it from Target. Oh. <laughs> but it was accurate. But, yeah, it was accurate. I mean, it, what's nice about like officially licensed um, merch is that like they all have to go through the same portal and filtration system too. Like it's like they get approved and like the the powers uh, that be are able to say like, actually, when you make this model, make sure that everything's in its right place. So it's, it was a good way to kind of get everything dialed in because it's already kind of been approved. And then after that, we get to send our illustration in for approval. And there was like further notes from there. Just to translate, Dan bought himself a toy car and calling it a model (laughs) makes it sound much more professional. So Dan, (laughs) because we can actually see the ladder skew. Uh Uh-huh. And we can see the female character form skew. Like, where is dead center here? It's kind of like um, it followed like the lights. I would uh-huh. say dense dead center is like the center of the the siren lights, mm. um, or like there's like this little tiny like circular piece that's at the tip of the um, the rail that holds all that stuff on the roof. Like that's kind of the center point. Yeah. Um, so like anything from there on you know, going left or right, you would see a little bit of its side, but um, it also helps just to have this model slash toy to kind of work off of because like a camera angle can drastically change just based off of like, is it perfectly upright or are, are you slightly to the left or right? So I actually was using my phone to like take a photo of, of the um, car. So like, you know how like when you, your phone is in that position, it has like a guideline to yeah. like make sure that you're completely upright. Yeah. I was also kind of making sure that my phone was straight to kind of make sure that all this kind of like leveled out too when uh, when it came to illustration. It's really cool. Uh I like I like this angle a lot. The shadows and the lighting obviously add a mood, but I think with it being up above, you kind of get that vibe of they just jumped out of the car. It's still running. It's still lit up. Like this is a grab and go situation, right? Like it's not yeah. like we're going to stand here and when it comes after us, we'll be ready to attack. Like this is literally like fighting for your life type of situation. Uh, and I think everybody kind of knows that vibe of when you're driving down the highway and things don't go right and you're on the side of the road and how your headlights and your taillights are kind of glowing on the emergency lane as you're trying to figure out like, oh, it's the fucking alternator. You know, we've <laughs> only got a little bit of time before we can get to the next exit. Um, being an old road dog in bands, I know too many times pulling over on the side of the road in the middle of the night for the wrong reasons. Uh, love killing hitchhikers. But it's like... <laughs> It definitely does set a mood, and uh, I think it, I think it's made stronger because of this creative decision. And it's it's interesting. Like when you did this for uh, the the what was the first Star Wars movie in the 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 X wing uh, fighter? Oh, the, that was First Order or Force Awakens. Well, oh, Force Awakens. Yeah, 
when you guys did the illustration of the X-Wing from above flying over the water, which really wasn't a part of the movie. We all got fucking fooled on that one. Uh, <laughs> that was... We make a lot of posters based off trailers, which is all based off assumptions. <laughs> yeah, like, remember we all thought, was it Captain Captain Phasma? Asthma, was, yeah, gonna be, was gonna be yeah, a main character. It's gonna be the shit! It was like, no, she's basically, like, middle management and does roll call. Yeah, got, she got thrown in the dumpster, like, in the first 30 seconds. Uh on that note, like some people did ask us like, oh, did you get to like see an advanced screening to work on this? And of course we didn't. So we were just kind of going off what we saw in the trailer. But what was one of the coolest things about this project was when it came time for studio approvals, normally that's kind of just like a nameless, faceless person from marketing or legal that signs off on the art and says like, yeah, just make sure you put the correct copyright legal line on there and stuff like that. But on this project, the people that weighed in from the studio were Jason Reitman, the director of the movie, yeah. and his dad, Ivan Reitman, who directed the original Ghostbusters. And they had some notes for us that were all about making this as accurate as possible and saying, like, make sure you move the gunner seat as like close to the vehicle as possible and like little tweaks. And um, our client was kind of like, sorry, it's a bummer that you have to like tweak some stuff. And we're like, no, like, this is awesome one, that the actual filmmakers are the ones giving us notes, and two, that this is going to be as accurate as possible because we know for something like this, if we don't get it right, some super fans are going to chime uh, in and be like, that's not how it is. You didn't do it right. So actually, that was great. The, the gunner seat is two degrees over there. No, that's cool. And the thing is, right, you want to feel like you're part of the team. You want to yeah. feel like that you're a part of it, that you have uh, all the powers that be saying, yo, no, we stand behind this. So this is uh, through partnership with uh, AMC? Yeah. yeah. So these were available, unlike some of our other poster products, or like through Mondo, where you know Mondo would sell an allotment and we would sell our posters. This is kind of a new exclusive thing that AMC Theaters is doing. So you can like only purchase this through um, AMC. And this was a limited edition of a thousand and they, um, they sold through them all pretty quickly. How do they figure out which theaters get the thousand? I think it's it was all done online. online. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So like AMC is basically like launching their own merchandise portal to to sell stuff like this. Hey, it's kind of a got... reaction to the pandemic because yeah. they're so used to being able to sell swag for specific movies at the actual theater, but since that's obviously gone down, this is an opportunity to do it completely online. And so this is kind of like a special edition that is exclusively available through AMC, but not only that only online and it's kind of a new way of thinking about things in terms of like the industry of theaters well it's it's funny because you have the movie industry right mm -hmm. and then you have mondo licensing posters and, and making a market for it and then you have the movie theater going well what about us? We yeah. have business with all these people. We have distribution. We have fans. We should make some of this money too. And we really need that money because we got our asses handed to us. And a lot of people still like for me, the movie theater still is kind of the weird space to go back into with strangers because on an airplane, we're all masked, but a movie theater, like I got to rip popcorn and the idea of watching a movie without a snack did you even mm -hmm. watch it if you didn't eat during it? That's what I asked. Yeah, you. I don't remember the movie if I don't have popcorn in my mouth. <laughs> so, question for you guys: Will this movie be any good? Because the all-female Ghostbusters was 
unwatchable. Like literally, I went to see it to be proven wrong, and I was proven so right. It was horrific, <laughs> horrific film. You think this one will be? Give me, give me your estimation. Well, well this that's... is today's Monday, right? So yep. the movie's been out for a few days. We've all seen it a few times. It's pretty, it's pretty good, right? Will you go yeah, see it this I've weekend? I've already gone three times. <laughs> Will you guys go see it this weekend? Uh, I probably won't have time to actually get around to it, but <laughs> yeah. you know, this is funny because I'm like, we're all like pro AMC and helping them out, but we're like, I'm gonna wait till I can just download it on <laughs> TV. Well, our, our um, work is done. They already sold out before the movie came out, yeah, so yeah, we have helped them. I, I mean, from what I've heard, it seems like it's good, and people have said like, yes, it's like true to the sentiment of the original, but with improvements. It's got the sexiest man alive, Paul Rudd, in it. Love so it. Yep. can't go um, wrong there. Yeah, and they're hitting the mark that they were attempting with the the female uh, lead um, Ghostbuster. They still have like a, a female lead, but it's kind of going in the realm of like Stranger Things, where it's like yes. this is kind of a younger crew, but she's kind of like I'm guessing the leader in this situation. So they kind of hit all the marks. It's and like Nathan was saying, it's really paying homage to the original movies. Whereas I guess the one with like Kristen Wiig was kind of like a reboot more than actually yeah. like a through line. And here's the thing. Like I love diversity. I love living in it. I love being around all kinds of different people. Um, when you tell a story, you should tell the story first and then you should build the people around it to tell the story. When you take any film, they're like, Oh, that was a male film or that was a white film. And you remake it for black people or remake it with women. Like you're not really, being true to diversity you're like doing a crowbar of something into something else my own opinion here but when you take this move and you go but a young girl discovers this and she has to go through it and figure it out and these people help her now i'm listening now yeah. i'm excited about it because it's a new story through a new lens but when you just take something and reskin it it just feels gross to me regardless of what it is so i'm excited about this because i know they've been trying to like reboot ghostbusters and get it back out because it is such a lovable brand i hope this time they hit the tone right and they get something they can make several movies off of yeah i yeah. hope so too i i think that yeah I, I totally agree with what you're saying as far as it, it, there is a certain amount of laziness when it certain movies are made and i think it's like a whole risk thing of like rather than taking a risk on a brand new piece of ip let's just like rework something that exists, even right. if we do have to crowbar in a storyline. But I think right. in this case, it does seem like it's very organic where it's basically from the point of view of the grandkids being like our old, like uncle Egon or grandpa Egon was like doing some weird stuff with ghosts. And now we've like inherited his old creepy house. Let's go see what's in there. And they like discover the Ecto one is like in a barn wasting away and just like, your your pathway into the story is in the same world and it makes sense and it's like a new generation discovering like what the hell were these guys doing in the 80s so and i think that'll be an interesting spin on it it's so more so much more compelling to get to revisit or or go into a world that we love right and so when you take that world and just reset dress it that that doesn't feel right but telling new stories from new types of people and new perspectives in mm -hmm. that world that's when it gets exciting because if you like Ghostbusters, you buy into that isolated universe. 
more people, more stories, different timelines in that universe is phenomenal. But being like, oh, so she's kind of the Dan Aykroyd and she's kind of the Bill Murray. Yeah. It's just kind yeah. of, I don't know, it just, I, I, I would love to sit down to talk to the person and be like, explain to me why you thought this would work. Yeah. 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 Exactly. They're just basically, they were like, let's make it all female. And that was the only thought. Yeah, I like that I there's think it's a, like, a through line here. It's like, well, we wanted money and we thought we could trick people to like go into the theater. So that was basically as far as, but this movie, I like watched a bunch of videos about the props and the set dressing and everything. And it's like really impressive how much time and energy they put into building everything. And even like people that are fans of the original will see all these Easter eggs in the movie of like, oh shit, that's the toaster that like came to life in the original. And that's like the cereal that was on the counter and all those things are in the new one. And one other thing they did that was awesome is that, you know, normally you have like your exterior sets and your interior sets and they're different places. It's like, we'll go shoot the exterior of this house in Iowa. And then we'll like build the interior on a soundstage at Warner brothers and we'll cut between and it'll work out fine for this movie. They built the interior and exterior of the house all from scratch, all in the same place. So when you see someone walk inside, they're like actually in that space. And it's like built in a much more expensive, practical way than what most movies would do, but just to like give you this authenticity. And I think it will probably come through with like the actors and stuff, like interacting with a real space rather than stand in front of this green screen and that tennis ball is Bill Murray and you're going to be in his library and just like do your best. Right. No, I, it seems to me that this one is, it, it feels like it's set up for a much greater success than than past efforts, and it'd be a it'd be a fun franchise for them to be able to keep playing inside of because I think so many people have bought into that world, that the world is the sandbox, not mm-hmm. the original characters and the original story that already exists. People want more. People want different. And when they do a traditionally a white film and they make it for black audiences, I find that to just be the most like it's airplane for black people and we call it soul plane it's like man that is so cringy to do that it's like i feel like who doesn't see that this is like the honeymooners made for black people like i don't know i i it always it almost is like this admittance of guilt like oh we feel bad that we didn't make a a black you know uh, movie in the first place let's just take something that worked and then put black people in it and it's like no, just make it new IP, new stories yeah, if you're yeah. going to go in that direction. Or if you really want to be in that world, find a way to create new black characters and black voices that somehow are there where a dude is, you know, buys the apartment building where the honeymooners live and and finds Ralph Crampton's like book of crazy business ideas. And then he go gets his buddy and they try to like, hey, these guys were maybe on to something like that's in that world, but it's a whole new thing. And it's not like, I don't know. It, it's so cringy. And I hope that Hollywood gets past that because for sure, I think that it it's the number one way to rub people wrong on what should be a very like sweet and innocent idea of, we need to get more folks. We need to get more folks of, yeah. of, of different more variety, more, more variety in, in the cinema. All right, let's hop into some bonus content. Let's talk about the current event of, uh, Shows you guys did a virtual Adobe Max. I did a real world designer con this weekend. Let's mm-hmm. go into the circle of trust right now and kind of talk about what the landscape feels like out in the real world. Uh, and if we're you know, busting, busting makes me feel good, and uh, I'll bust all day long. <laughs> still, the still the tagline, even with the kids' movie. Hey, you, you can't. <laughs> 
because Bustin feels good, Dan. I mean, yeah, that's how they got there. What they feels better than Bustin? <laughs> we're all here because were, <laughs> we're all here because somebody was Bustin. So Bustin <laughs> feels good, and let's let's feel good. Yeah. 